Hey, we're live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to uh, Season 2, Episode 3 of History's Greatest Idiots, the show in which we go back through history itself and find you some of the biggest cock-ups, mistakes, and tragic stupidity throughout the history of humanity and give you lessons that you can learn from those instances and hopefully never repeat them again. But who are we kidding? We're humans. Mistakes are fun. And especially when you get to document them in a, a podcast. Joining me as ever is my amazing co-host, Derek. Derek, how are you doing, my man? I am doing fantastic, man. Um, yeah. How are things over, over here? In, yeah. What's, <laughs> what's going on over in Arizona? Um, well, I, I know I hate that, you know, we're a couple of old dudes talk about the weather, but it's already 80 <laughs> degrees here today. That's so. crazy. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, um, yet I'm still yeah. wearing a hoodie because F you weather. Yeah, exactly. Like you've got, you've got climate control. It's fine. You yeah. can wear a hoodie. Uh, yeah, we've got, um, so I, 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 um, have been kind of playing catch up around the house because we're at a stage now with the work we're having done on the house where like the extensions up. Uh, a lot of the flooring is in. Um, the shower is almost in. The bathroom, uh, the the toilets in. The sinks in. Um, all of the stuff in the utility area is going in. So we've got the new fridge freezer. So we've got two of those now, which is oh, massive luxury. Uh, nice. the washing machines in its new place. Yes, I know. Um, and like the the. Uh, we're going to have the cabinetry is going to show up soon so we can have loads of storage in the utility and um, the flooring is going to go down in the uh, kind of ex the dining room extension and then like everything will be done. But today I was like, we've had builders around nonstop for like two months <laughs> and we have a very small uh, path at the side of our house, which leads around to the back. So you've got like a side gate and then a path around the outside of the building. So you can take your bins out front when it's that that day again. Um, and the builders have obviously been coming and going. They've been bringing all the supplies through. They've been like mixing cement out there. They've been like dumping shit in the, the gardens are right fucking mess, but like the path itself. <laughs> so whenever I take the dog out to go and do her business in the garden, we invariably bring half of this rubble back in with us. And it's meant that there is like dust and rubble and sand and shit just everywhere through the ground floor. And sometimes it gets dragged upstairs as well because you've got them working and they're knocking dust around. But when you're constantly coming in and out with the dog, it just brings even more in. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go outside with a broom and I'm going to clean that fucking path up. And boy, howdy, did I. Uh, I, got a wheel, <laughs> I got a wheelbarrow full of just all sorts of shit. Um, I know. And uh, I, I picked it up and uh, I, I threw it away. It was, it was very satisfying. And then I stopped and I was like, oh, yeah, I've got a chronic illness, haven't I? I shouldn't really have done that. That was a really stupid mistake. And Just I uh, get I, I after it. I, I know it's always after you do something. When you get older, you do these things and then it really catches up with you. But especially when you've got a, a long term incurable chronic illness. Uh, it really hits you hard. So I finished that and I lay down on the sofa and my wife was like, do you want a cup of tea? Do you want me to make you some lunch? I was like, yeah, yeah, please. And then and then I fell asleep for two hours. So that was yeah. that was my Saturday. Fucking amazing. But you got <laughs> something done. I got something. I felt like a man. I felt I was, secure in my manhood. I was actually worried that I was going to still be a little bit sick today. Oh, have uh, you not been? Not been well, it, it's in a weird way. And I'm just guessing, but I went and got my COVID booster. Okay. And I had some side effects this time compared right. to my other two times. Sure. Where I was okay. a little bit tired and whatnot. Uh, mm. 
I got swelled up under the armpit, scared the hell out of me, but it turns out that's normal. And that is go- that going away to my already. wife as well. That's <laughs> like totally normal, unfortunately. Yeah. Um uh, one guy I know uh <laughs> went to get um his done in a pharmacy, like round the corner round the corner from where he lives. So it was like far enough away for him to be like, I'm not walking this shit. So he like hopped in the car, drove around the corner, and he's like, While I'm here, I'll just like get a couple of bits from like food from the mm-hmm. shop and stuff. So he was in the, the pharmacy. And pharmacists pharmacies in the UK tend to be quite small, but they have like little really weird small pop-up little consultation rooms off to the side, which are typically made out of like cardboard. Like you can hear everything that goes on in there. There's no privacy whatsoever. But you're like you're maybe five feet away from the other person in the consultation room. It's very, very close. The pharmacist walked in and uh, my friend noticed that the guy didn't have his mask on properly. So he had the, the nose hanging out from oh, it's like, nice. you're a fucking medical professional. <laughs> What's wrong with you? So anyway, he was like, I, he, he realized then he didn't want to be in this room any time, any longer than he had to be with this guy. Because he's got yeah. kids, he's got older relatives. You never know what, you know, they might get. Anyway, so he's in the room with the guy and um, the guy gives him the, the booster. And um, it caught a nerve in his arm Ooh. and his arm went dead. Um Ouch. And the, the 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 pharmacist was like, "You can't leave. Your, your arm is dead. There's no way you can leave. You drove here, right?" And he's like, "I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm sorry." And he was like, he just didn't want to be in the room with a pharmacist anymore, who just like like oh, grease all over him with his nose and made his arm go dead. So he had to drive, <laughs> he had to drive the mile and a half back to his house with one arm. Um, and in this country, we don't really have automatic cars. Like you oh, have to gear no. shift everything. So he was like having to accelerate a little bit and then move his right foot over to the clutch and put that down and then shift gear and then back over to the thing and he was like it was the most dangerous mile and a half of driving and also it's the uk we don't have straight roads here they're always busy they're always narrow they're always winding (laughs) as fuck and he's driving a family car with one hand (laughs) so uh man yeah so (laughs) things happen when you get injections and people worry why wonder why i have a phobia of needles anyway so we've had a nice catch-up yeah, uh, Derek, can you tell us who your specific idiot is this episode, please? Okay, so lately I was kind of thinking that the people in my stories have felt a little heavy. You did so say that to me, yeah. This episode, I wanted to lighten things up a little bit and get softer, if you will. Yeah, nothing softer than a nice pillow, right? Nice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> After that really drawn out train wreck of a punny joke, I'm going to tell you the tale of the American businessman, conservative politician, activist, conspiracy theorist, and founder and CEO of My Pillow. Um, that uh, My Pillow company in uh, Minnesota, Mike yes. Lindell. I have heard of this guy. I haven't heard much, <laughs> but I've heard that he owns a pillow company and he's fucking insane. So I can't wait for this. Oh, is he? Yes. I, I almost feel, okay, I almost feel a little bit bad because I try not to, like, bully or be mean to anybody. No, of course, no, no. And it, while I was writing this, I wandered in and out of, uh, like, in-depth analysis. I don't know. I was feeling real deep on observations, so I went ahead and wrote those down as well. Um, okay. Forgive my opinion in opinionated report this time. No, that's oh, wait, okay. I do that it every time. Hit us with your opinion, Derek. <laughs> so Mike was born on June 28th, 1961 in Mankato, Minnesota, and he was raised in the southwest rural area just outside of Minneapolis in 
Chaska, Minnesota. Cool. Until he was seven and mm-hmm. his parents split up. And at that time, he moved into the neighboring town of Carver, which is like oh. literally straight right down. Right. Um, okay. That's according to his memoirs. What are the odds from crack addict to CEO? <laughs> Wait, I what? Sh- he was a crack I- addict. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's how things started. Well, OK, I mean, they started where we're at, but that's right, what yeah. he named his first book. Jesus <clears throat> Christ. Okay. Um, he talks about developing a bit of a gambling habit in that book uh, during his teenage years, and that gambling addiction eventually led down a path to other addictions and then mm. some really rough, ugly patches later on, but uh, I'll get to those. Yeah. Uh, according to the MyPillow website, Mike had trouble sleeping as a teen uh, because his pillow would get hot. And I know that the feeling. Let, that led him to go out and blow an entire paycheck on a pillow because he thought... If it's expensive, it has to be good, right? Mm. Like most people do. Yeah. You think you get what you pay for, but not always. Yeah. It's a reasonable assumption, but a flawed logic. It is. It's it's the kind of oversimplified thinking that could perhaps lead somebody to be a conspiracy theorist Mm -hmm. later on. Yeah. Um, But that's just me thinking out loud. Like I said, I, (laughs) I thought about stuff as I wandered through here. And anyway, it was the, the, the issue with the pillow uh, when he figured out that money doesn't mean good. And Mm -hmm. he started going through all of the pillows. Like he says that he literally tried every pillow out in a search for good, a good night's sleep. Uh, This guy's I'll give him. He's dedicated to the cause. And actually, like a comfortable night's sleep, that's one of the most important things in it life. Is. So I, I'm on his side with this pillow Nirvana hunt that he's going. On. <laughs> uh, according to an interview he did in the Star Tribune in Minnesota, he says that he suffered from a low. Uh, well, sorry, I wandered off uh, into the the pillow thing uh, <laughs> when. He he was younger. He suffered from a lack of self-esteem, which okay. he traces back to his parents' divorce. Sure. And then when he moved to that new school, he developed like a fear of talking to strangers mm-hmm. that uh, it, it led to an almost crippling fear of rejection, he says. Now, that makes a lot of sense, especially in your teenage years. You know, divorce at a young age, there's a lot of different weird things to people. But actually, social anxiety disorders and stuff like that, I can totally, uh, you know, with the hormones and the awkwardness and going to a new school, I am I can totally understand that. That's really sad and actually probably far too familiar for most people than not. So, and Well, and he said in order to, to fit in and face those fears, he started acting out and showing off. Yeah. And... He tells stories about uh, one time he evaded bullies by jumping out the window of a moving fucking school bus. Yeah, that's to, a lie. To, to, to get <laughs> he uh, he sounds like a maniac, but <laughs> well, maybe it's not a lie then. That's Jesus. just one of the stories that he says is true. And then okay. after high school, he went to the University of Minnesota, but dropped right. out after a few months. Okay. And at his five year high school reunion, he felt so intimidated that. Uh, he wanted to impress his classmates. They all had college degrees and families. Mm -hmm. And so he told astonishing tales about the time he crashed his motorcycle. The same day he had a parachute malfunction while skydiving. Some mafia. The same day. Apparently. (laughs) Allegedly. 
<laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> um, some mafia bookies came to his house to collect $20,000 worth of bad sports bets. Mm. And he had a short-lived career as a professional Las Vegas card counter. Um, yeah, I mean, if he'd mentioned one of those things, you can tell, everyone tells tall tales, right? Or embellishes. Um, like, I get it, you know, you overemphasize maybe your your time with a company or your influence or whatever it might be. But to like, to do nothing but lie is a problem because if you know you tell more than one giant lie it's going to be like so see-through that everyone's going to basically get you're a liar well herein so. lies the issue though right and, and and i'll get to that here because in the same star tribune interview he also talked about his near-death experiences where he claims that at 14 he almost died in such a way that somehow included being trapped under the ice and electrocuted uh, assumingly at the same fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of impossible. Okay, yeah, maybe and there were eels. He's quoted as saying, I would tell these to stories and they seem so over the top and they were true because I didn't have anything else good to say. I'd bring up um, my self-worth and attention by talking about uh, these stories. Sure. He, he took yeah. the attention off of not having a family or a girlfriend or anything like that. But he I mean, asserts that it's true. Mm. Mm. <laughs> is that is sad, you know? And I, I'd imagine it's more common than we uh, probably recognize in society that you know when people are insecure, they embellish and 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 tell porky pies and stuff. And that's fine. Eventually, most people grow out of that. But actually, as you were saying, because I don't think it's wrong of you to say this. You know, you were talking about like addiction and this kind of attention behaving this actually is totally someone that i can see would be easily swept up in the world of conspiracy theories because like it's it's a very similar thing to a lot of addictions yeah in a lot of ways well and here's the other thing about him is that his stories seem like fantastic and over the top yeah but they could be something that sure. actually happens yeah. however they're usually completely unverifiable. Yeah. And it, even in that quote um, where he says, I, I did this to bring up my self-worth and get attention so I wouldn't have to talk about not having a family or a girlfriend. To mm. me, it seems like he's even like he's he's got a dangerous thing happening where he's leaning towards self-victimization in order to yeah. avoid accountability if he yes. gets caught lying. Absolutely. I agree with you on that front. And that sort of thing leads to you buying into your own bullshit. Yeah, that's another Which problem. can be dangerous. Yeah, um, it really can. And it's really that, and they were true, Port, that he prompted that, yes, they're true, and then he shifts to, because I didn't have anything else good to say, it's like, mm. oh, that poor bastard, you already forgot that you were questioning him. Yeah, actually, yeah, I, I that's it's a very sensible pivot, I guess, to distract from the fact that he's full of shit. But um, actually, I think if you... I think the better thing that he could have done, and it's certainly something that if people are, you know, habitual liars in conversation can do, pivot to hope. Like if you, this guy's like, okay, I'm on a mission. And like, I think most people could identify with that. I need to get a good night's sleep. The pillow always gets hot. It's really bothered me. I've always wondered why can't there be a pillow that stays cool all the time? So I'm on this life's mission to kind of do this. And I'm setting up a company and I'm hoping that's going to be my thing. Like, 
I think that's an interesting story in in idle conversation. Bring that up, and you are an interesting person. People buy into you. They buy into your story and your goals in life. You don't have to embellish. Just you know, tell people about yourself and the interesting shit you've got going on, your beliefs, and most people will buy into it. You don't have to embellish. At the time, though, he didn't have anything going right. on. He hadn't still. He hadn't really started working down his past of, of or path of entrepreneurship, where he was right. opening up bars and lunch wagons and stuff like that. Okay. He was starting out and trying. And like I was, like you were saying, when you're kind of that good at weaving stories, though, maybe you should just try your hand in Hollywood. Well, yeah, you know, just I write think. something. And one of the stories that he tells that I think could be a Hollywood thing was mm -hmm. actually the story of how my pillow came to be okay. that according to Mike, it came to him in a dream after mm -hmm. a lifetime of shitty sleep. He came up with the idea of my pillow and then got his kids to help create the logo and the prototype. And it's really just shredded foam in various sizes okay. uh, that comes together like an aggregate and locks in but it's still soft and remains the uh keeps the flexibleness okay um yeah. that sounds good it i mean it came to him in a dream i guess i'll give mm. him that um, yeah you know like there are a lot of people that say it came to me in a dream i can fully believe that paul mccartney um dreamt up the song yesterday because artists musicians what have you they dream in the uh the if they're geniuses they dream their kind of you know actual imagination and ability to create art i can totally believe that paul mccartney dreamt the song yesterday but in his dream it was called scrambled eggs which is what he says like i totally believe that story what okay. i don't believe is fucking joseph smith like <laughs> god told me that there was some gold buried in the woods and a fucking genie and i just like goes off rails yeah at that go point, back and translate know? it a second time well they're different now <laughs> well it's totally changed now it's just it's not that easy uh, um so, yeah i'll skip that part because you know what i do think that it could have come to him in a dream and yeah, it's maybe. kind of heartwarming that he had his kids help out and do all that stuff yeah that's cute yeah and um at first, he wasn't able to convince the big box stores that the pillow had any potential. And then he wandered on and started a kiosk and sort of failed at that. Mm -hmm. But he got into the groove when he started screwing around with home shows and expos and fairs and becoming more of a pitch man. Ah, there's his skill. Yes. And he loved telling people how the, the pillow could help them and would go on and on and entertain the strangers without being high on drugs, he says. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, just as the product was getting traction, his business and personal life hit the skids because his not doing drugs uh, wasn't a thing. His wife of 20 years left him. He filed oh. for bankruptcy and he was addicted oh, no. to crack cocaine. Oh, shit. So, wait, I mean, I'd like to know the sequence of events with that one, whether it was like, the wife left him because they weren't making any money and he was doing crack or whether like the bankruptcy, then the wife, then the crack. I'd like, I'd like to know the sequence of that. What, what, what has causal effect on the other, but yeah, that's a pretty hard combination of shit to happen to one person at one time. Yeah. And it sucks. And I could see it. Like I can yeah. see the wife leaving you and then you're bankrupt and then you get addicted to crack. That seems a normal yeah. sequence, but he yeah. probably did it all out of order. <laughs> Um, let's dabble in one and lose all my money and then a bit more crack and then a little <laughs> now this leads me to another unbelievable and unverifiable could be true story sure uh, 
the story he talks about how he quit crack and got his act together. All right. In this story, his dealer cuts him off after he's on a 14 to 19 day binge by telling him that he won't sell to him anymore until he goes to sleep. According to Mike, his primary drug dealer staged an intervention of sorts and ordered the other drug dealers to cut him off. He said, if some crazy white guy with a mustache wants drugs, don't sell to him. And uh, in an interview with Bloomberg Businessweek, Mike says he usually goes with saying it was 14 days that the binge lasted without him Mm. sleeping because he thinks that 19 would make people feel like he sounds like he embellished. And uh, again, telling him that he he might be lying, I think, is what he yeah. was doing there. I think there's a limit on how long you can stay awake as a human being for, even if you're doing, like, drugs. As I, uh, there was a radio experiment, was it back in the 50s or 60s, where this guy tried to stay awake for, like, seven days, and by the fifth day, he started hallucinating, and he, tried, like, ran out into the street and, like, had to get tackled to the ground... It that makes yeah I've heard stuff like that but then I also get it confused with the creepy pasta about the yeah, Russian sleep stupid shit <laughs> yeah but I I'm pretty certain I'm I'm confident in saying that it is you'd be dead if you stayed alive for longer than about ten days without yeah I don't imagine you'd be in good shape and I guess maybe yeah. that's how you'd see your drug dealer say hey no more drugs for you until you take a nap little one. Yeah, like, uh, I don't know. I, I, not that I've known an awful lot of drug dealers in my time, but they don't exactly seem like they're the ones to tuck you in and read you a bedtime story, especially right. people who deal crack. Like, I, and, I'd imagine you have to be pretty tough to deal crack. Hash, maybe not quite so much, but crack. Yeah, I figure you, your Rasta dealer is a whole lot different than your crack dealer. <laughs> yeah, a little um, bit more hopped up. So uh, yeah. that story is another example of mm. like, it might be true. Sure. Um, but Likely now it not. has me wondering if he did have a drug addiction and like, yeah, I don't know. I maybe he had a low level and it wasn't like it wasn't a problem because it wasn't necessarily interfering with his life at that point. But like, yeah, yeah, I, I can imagine a three day crack binge. Right. I, I've heard stories of people going on booze, drinks, George Best, a British footballer went on a 30-day drinking binge, right? I mean, he slept, he passed Ooh. out and shit, but he did nothing <laughs> in 30 days. He drank nothing but beer, ate nothing but peanuts and crisps for the entire 30 days. That was all he consumed was beer and bar snacks. So I can believe binges. However, what I can't believe is staying awake on drugs for more than about five days. Like Your body just gets fucked. Right? I feel like that dude should have filmed that and turned it into like a super drunk oh, yeah. me movie or something. <laughs> much. He, just, just uh, I'm sure nobody's surprised. George Best is long dead now, and he continued drinking after his kidney transplant. So, oh, what a dick! I know. Yeah, we might cover George Best in the future. Stay tuned. <laughs> um. A- anyway, back to Sorry. Mr. Mike yeah. Lindell. Um, like I was saying, those stories are actually already part of his legend now. So, like when you go to try to find out stuff about the my pillow guy mm. you're finding out stories about he went from being a, a a cocaine addict and a crack addict to being this businessman and he pulled sure. himself up by his bootstraps and um it's a good narrative there's really nobody that can confirm a lot of it though i mean mm. probably his ex-wife might but <laughs> like, um, he, he was definitely doing crack at some point yeah 
Yeah, and then recently he started getting involved with conspiracy theories and Donald Trump and his Mm -hmm. venture into creating the alt tech to protect freedom of speech. But um, as of like a year after he quit uh, Mm -hmm. cocaine, when his dealer Ty told him, go to bed, Mike, that's (laughs) that's a quote, (laughs) Um, and then called the other dealers. Uh, so he said directly after that, he achieved sobriety through prayer in 2009 and embraced religion and prayed that he'd be rid of his desire for drugs, alcohol, and cigarettes, mm. which is nice. It's I, good. I, it happens. Like, you know, people find Jesus and religion, whatever religion it might be, and it does keep them on the straight and narrow. There will be psychologists out there that will say that they have traded an addiction for whatever it is for religion. But, you know, I I don't think an addiction to religion is anywhere near as dangerous as an addiction to crack, for sure. Probably Um, not, no. You're you're essentially trading one chemical reaction in your brain for another, basically. Here's the concern, though, because when he tells the story, he says he embraced the religion and he he prayed that he would get rid of the desire for drugs, alcohol, and cigarettes. Okay. And contrary to the experience of virtually all other addicts, his <laughs> cravings just went away through prayer. Ah, yeah, that's bullshit. He's probably still doing drugs. Um, I'm guessing, maybe. Uh, may- allegedly, maybe, possibly. <laughs> maybe not. Um, his business breakthrough came shortly after he got uh, sober. Sure. And yeah. it happened through his famously cheesy infomercials where <laughs> late night television brings him uh, forth to the American public and maybe the world uh, in yeah. 2011. And he's dressed in his crisp blue button-up shirt, sporting a cross around his neck with a big bushy mustache and a Ken doll haircut. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's quite a picture you're painting there. And he launches into an unscripted pitch where he gesture, gestures radically and wildly and raves about how my pillow is going to help folks sleep better. Right. And it yeah, I, it, I, that kind of thing does work. Infomotion, infomercials at their very best when you have a very charismatic salesperson have been hugely successful. So, and, you know, and he's an amazing we, pitch man. Yeah, exactly. Like we've learned from people like VJ Malia, you know, the guy who came up with the beer in India, founded an entire empire just off these insane fucking adverts that usually start him. Like you sell in the right way. You will make a lot of money. And, Right there, that's it, because what he did was pretty brilliant, and it's safe to assume that at least some of the folks that are watching late-night television are also having trouble sleeping. (laughs) That's a very good point. And possibly on crack. Oh, Um. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it it makes you think that maybe some of them are going to be willing to try anything to get some sleep, including listening to some maniac with a crazy mustache telling them how cool his pillow is. That's actually brilliant. Yes, in terms of coincidental advertising, that's fucking brilliant. It doesn't get much better than that. I kind of wonder, like I said, I question whether or not his his entire origin story and all of that is, it's questionable because of how much this other stuff is. I I feel like maybe he knew what he was doing. He went after pillows because he wanted to launch them on late night. But I mean, that's just another conspiracy theory. (laughs) <laughs> which he'd probably buy into. Uh, um, turns out by 2012, Mike's infomercial became the country's top infomercial on the independent ranking firm Jordan Whitney's coveted list of uh, infomercials. Wow. 
I didn't know that was a thing. I neither did. There's it. lists and charts for friggin' everything. Literally everything. Except <laughs> our podcast, apparently. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the My Pillow guy became like a household name here in the States. And then by 2017, things kind of started turning downward again for him when the Better Business Bureau took away accreditation of My Pillow because they were getting ratings or complaints by consumers that he's saying you buy one you get one free but um, that's just the price it uh, it's right. not a special offer that's going away that's just the price of two damn pillows right i see so okay <laughs> jesus so the better business bureau lowered his rating to an f because he was mm. false advertising sure. buy one get yeah. one free is not real when it's mm. just i you know we sell them by the twos <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's yeah, it, it's a deliberate mis misleading thing, isn't it, for sure. And he disagreed with it and said that he's terribly disappointed, but he moved on. Mm. Um by 2017, he started getting into the Trump entourage Ugh. and he had a ton of shit to say. Am I allowed to call it the Trump entourage? Is that a fair yeah, assessment of it? Okay. Um you could call it another word that rhymes with vaguely rhymes with Trump if you want, but um yeah, no, definitely tr <laughs> Trump entourage. That's that's fair. Both the TV show and him were pretty awful. So so go for it. You know? And he ended up pretty tight with him. Um, yeah, I remember he, that. He was at all kinds of different functions and the, the final debate in Vegas and the campaign rally in Minnesota. And then he was at the inauguration where Trump actually gave him an inauguration lapel pin as a personal gift. So, you know, it's mm. safe to say they were buddies. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, at the rally in Fargo, North Dakota, in June twenty uh, on June twenty seventh, twenty eighteen, Trump complimented Lindell for his business acumen, and assumingly to return the favor at the two thousand nineteen political action conference, Mike spoke about Trump and said that he is the greatest president in history, and quote chosen by God. Uh, so you know that's the sort of shit that you hear people talking about kings. Usually, yeah, very and, true. And dictators and things of that nature. God picked him. Right, um, so, in May of 2020, uh, he became the campaign chair for Trump's reelection campaign in Minnesota. It's funny how homie hookups happen like that. Yeah. But then in July 2020, he stepped it up a notch and said he was 99% sure he mm -hmm. was running for the Minnesota governor, uh, reportedly at oh. Trump's urging. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Trump urged him. Uh, that yeah, but do you take that advice? You know, the, 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 here's the thing about getting into politics. Don't if you have any skeletons in your closet, stay the hell away from politics because that shit will make its way out. Yeah, yeah. Well, and if you're gonna do shit like this, uh, in November 2020, Mike decided to help out America's youth by, um being among those who paid for the bail for the Kenosha shooter, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. Oh, fucking hell. And then he responded to accusations of, hey, you donated to get that guy out of jail? With, no, I donated to the Fight Back Foundation to help fund election fraud litigation and other things. Okay. That story is, quote, fake news. <laughs> It clearly isn't, though, but... Uh, no, okay. it's funny because a lot of the stuff that has come out about him has been verified and yeah. shown to be true, yet nothing in his interviews and stories and legend 
is really confirmed too much. I imagine yeah. that there was drug abuse and he actually was divorced twice and all of that. Yeah. But yeah. Um, speaking of fake news, let's get into Mike's take on COVID-19. Oh, God, love him. <laughs> um, early on in the pandemic, I actually kind of thought he was going to do good things. He showed up on Fox News and said that his company's betting factories were going to pivot to creating face masks and uh, help Trump get them, uh, get more of them and get them out. Okay. Um, then he ended up uh, in White House meetings and at public um, uh, appearances promoting a toxic plaque, uh, plant extract, oleandrin, as okay. a miracle cure for COVID-19. Uh, fucking so, snake oil. Whoops. What is this? I thought he was going to do good shit, and then he's like, hey, you know what you should do? You should take this uh, oleandrin. It works. It's a miracle of all time. That sounds yeah. like a snake oil pitch right there for sure. It does, doesn't it? And he sounds like, throughout his entire career, basically a snake oil salesman. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, yeah. Same tactic He's and everything. Modern day. Wow. <laughs> In another television appearance, he made other misleading statements about the testing of that substance and it should be mentioned that uh, Mike has financial stakes in Phoenix Biotechnology, which is the go. company that makes Oladrin. And mm -hmm. oh, did I mention he also sits on that company's board? Yeah. Um, it's those sort of unstand. Uh, subs <laughs> <laughs> Fail. Um, <laughs> it's those unsubstantiated. Those ones. Uh, that got scientists kind of uh, alarmed because yeah. there's no scientific evidence that oleandrin is safe or effective. And actually, there's evidence that that plant is poisonous, even in low doses to humans. So That's fucking crazy. I mean, I at least it's that. not a horse worming tablet. But Jesus Christ, people take the fucking scientific stuff if you're going to take anything. Well, he's pushing all of that. And then. Somehow he got the U.S. Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Ben Carson, to oh. jump on board with Oleandrin and get Trump to look at the substance, at least, as a possible thing. But, I mean, if we're being honest here, Trump was down with putting UV lights inside people and he said bleach was what we needed and then yeah. fucking uh, aquarium cleaner. So, I mean, he'll look at anything, apparently. He will literally look at anything. And all he has to do, <laughs> unfortunately, is mention it in... A press conference, and you're going to get millions of people at least trying it or thinking about trying it. And I, I have to imagine that they realize that that happens. Like they yeah. can't be wandering through life like, Duh, I'm going to say stupid stuff, and nobody's going to take me seriously. Yeah, it's all anyway. for effect. It's all for money, <laughs> ultimately. Um, yeah. So that's I, I lost where I was. <laughs> um, so it's that sort of behavior, though, that really kind of concerns me. His fibbing, yeah. his uh, snake oil salesman pitching about dangerous mm -hmm. stuff, despite people telling him. Um, and then, like I said, he started buying into his, his own bullshit. Yeah. Um, and once you start doing that, bad things happen. Like the, mm -hmm. the election in 2020, when somebody mm -hmm. says they cheated, it was rigged. Maybe you buy into that a little bit because he's your yeah, buddy. And exactly. then why not start a, a major campaign supporting and financing Trump's attempt to overturn the election? Because that's what Mike did. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Um, he wandered through the country on a tour bus and promoted conspiracy theories that uh, the voting machine companies 
Smartmatic and Dominion conspired yeah. with foreign powers to rig the voting machines and steal the election away from Trump. Really? Are we are we involving Trump and foreign powers in the same census? Was I don't think that's going to end well in the conversation. Uh, to be dude, honest, dude, I ho- I heard an awesome theory on that. I'll share it with you later. Yeah, I think I might have heard a similar <laughs> theory as well. It seems pretty legit. Yeah, I, I I if it's the one I'm thinking of, it it washes with what I know about Trump on a personal level. So yeah, Washington well, now I'm being excited the... to hear about that. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah. Anyway, so he's on that uh, that tour bus, and he's a personal sure. sponsor, and he's challenging the election, and he ends that tour bus uh, that bus tour in Washington D.C. on December fourteenth, twenty twenty, after speaking at five stops along the way, and then okay. he says. I did not help uh, finance subsequent trips to promote the January 6th rally, though. Hmm. <laughs> can almost certainly mean he did. He says, I was at the rally, but I didn't even go to the Capitol. Hang on. What? How? Oh, right. So the rally was in front of the White House, wasn't it? That's, that's uh, right. It was somewhere down the street. Yeah. Yeah, it was down the street. And Trump was like, he said something. He said there was one key phrase that was incredibly incendiary basically tipped the scales into in in favor of a riot you mean we're gonna march down there and take our house back yeah i think that might have been it i think that was probably the sentence and then people died um (sighs) yeah um i feel like that was yeah that whole i was at the rally i wasn't at the you know the storming of the capital it's like well you were there and it just meant that you weren't you were smart enough to not be manipulated into taking part in a riot but you were still part of that whole thing, so and financed yeah. stirring the shit pot. Yeah, exactly. You you created uh, an environment for that to take place. So, well, luckily in uh, January and February of 2021, Dominion and uh, others planned on suing him and sent him a letter saying that he's positioned himself as a prominent leader of the ongoing misinformation campaign, so he should knock it off. That's that's fair. And then on January 25th, 2021, Twitter said, get the fuck out of here. You're banned for Ooh. perpetuating the unfounded claim that Trump won the 2020 election. Yeah. Uh, a Twitter spokesperson explained that he violated the company's policy um, that they oh, implemented bullshit. back in, yeah, in September. And then after that, his personal account was banned. What do you think he did? Uh he used a proxy account and got that banned. Well, he went and used the corporate my pillow account. No, <laughs> he used the corporate account. Are you out of your fucking mind? Is it a publicly traded company, or is it private? Because uh... if it's publicly traded, the FCC will have shit to say about that as well. Oh my well, god! I don't, I don't know. I, I haven't even looked at that. That's bad. Bad research on my part. But no, no, no. It, that's 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 fine. In uh, several yeah. tweets under the My Pillow account, he told the Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey oh, that he was god. going to be found out and should be put in prison when all is revealed. Um, um sure. Following that uh, string of tweets, Twitter permanently banned the My Pillow account as well. Oh my god! <laughs> Fucking pillow companies getting banned now. Jesus. So. After that, he goes on Newsmax and oh god, has a broadcast for clarification of, um, oh excuse me. After that, the Newsmax news that had been reporting on him and having him on as a guest had a broadcast mm. for clarification that it was uh, false reporting about the voting machines and um, 
in response to the demand letter from Dominion, they wouldn't be pursuing that because it didn't happen. Um, they wow. were false so, claims. So even <laughs> Newsmax, the, the hotbed of bullshit that is Newsmax, were being sued by the providers and had to make a retraction. That is big. But wait, there's more. <laughs> I get that joke. I like that joke. That's a good one. <laughs> um, after that, Mike came on the network again in February to oh, repeat the false claims. Oh, you fucking and, idiot. And that's when network anchor Bob Sellers tried to stop him, then mm. said, fuck it, read a disclaimer and walked off the set, which is pretty baller. Yeah, actually, you know what? I would do. I've been in situations. I did an interview with um, a TV personality many, many years ago who used to be on the BBC. And um, I interviewed him about three months after he'd lost his job at the BBC. He ended up on like commercial television in the end. So it was no big loss. He probably earned more money making the move anyway. But he was so bitter at the BBC that getting him to stay on question without going on a rant against the BBC <laughs> and like saying the most libelous stuff was the hardest part of my uh, radio career to that point. So I, I was in my early to mid twenties and I'm interviewing this guy who's, you know, 60 sign, very famous and earned a lot of money through the BBC. And he is just burning this fucking bridge Yikes. right on my show. And I don't work for the BBC, but I'm like, I don't want to burn the bridge as well. So I'm like, so so maybe we let's talk about this. He's like, well, I was talking about the BBC, and I was like, fucking hell, he's he's going to ruin my career. So I don't blame that anchor for being, yeah. you know what? Fuck this, I am out. I mean, that's one of my favorite parts of the story. Um, yeah, just just no. Nope, here's a disclaimer: this stuff's not real. I'm out of here. Yeah. You keep talking, Mike. It's cool. For, yeah, you take over. We won't even cut to commercial. Floor's yours. And then uh, in March 2021, uh, Mike reported he's launching this alt-tech social media platform that he described as a cross between YouTube and Twitter uh, that would be different from Gab and Parler. Okay. He originally called it VOCL or Vocal, but okay. then he got a dispute from a company that owned a website called Vocal, and they told him, change your name, and he was like, oh, okay. So he changed it to Frank. Just um, Frank? Yep. <laughs> Frank like launched the... <laughs> sorry just like the really weird film about Frank Sidebottom that's really fucking weird yeah well that's... I mean I think he's speaking frankly is where he was going with that or Frankie says relax or something <laughs> um... <laughs> that'd be amazing Frankie goes to Hollywood holy shit um, uh, so Frank launched on April 19th, 2021 and experienced a shit ton of technical issues that mm -hmm. led him to say it was a massive attack. And in fact, Frank has no social network features and primarily offers embedded video streams, including okay. um, Absolute Interface, which is a two hour video promoting conspiracy theories about the 2020 presidential election. Sure. Uh, he said he spent millions of dollars developing Frank which is just a fun sentence to say. Yeah. <laughs> but according to the invoices um, published by a salon writer that were obtained through a leaked video conference Lin uh, with Lindell's IT team, he only spent about 936000 So close to a million, but not millions. Mm, yeah. So again, fits in with his um, kind of odus, modus operandi of like embellishment, but not lies. Yeah, yeah, it's like, I'll take a grain of truth 
and then sprinkle a, a fair amount of bullshit on top of it. And here you go. Here's your food, mister. You know? Yeah. Well, like the day he wrecked his motorcycle and then survived a parachute accident, he really went on a motorcycle ride and went skydiving. Yeah, exactly. That like, seems more. I mean, when you're plummeting to the earth, pretty much anything is a survival. You know, if oh, you yeah. come out of it alive, you basically survive falling 50,000 feet from the fucking stratosphere <laughs> or whatever. You know, it's like, yeah, I survived a parachuting accident. Pretty much all of parachuting is is like surviving. So maybe he didn't mean to fall out of the plane. Maybe he was up there for a jolly and just happened to have a parachute on. That would have been <laughs> it. James Bond as fuck. Jesus. <laughs> anyway, I've wandered off again because that's sorry. No, so much fun. Um, this guy. So after the whole Frank thing, Jared Holt, who's an extremist, uh, far right media researcher at the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab, right. he said that uh, Lindell was being had by the people around him and all of the various products and ventures Lindell has going on, whether it's a pseudo documentary film or a social media platform are very expensive endeavors. And somebody is taking Lindell's money from him to produce all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So they're saying maybe he's not responsible, I guess. I don't know. Um, like but it, it seems like some sort of an in, inception type shit. It's like a conspiracy yeah. inside of a conspiracy inside of a dream about a pillow. <laughs> 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 So then on April 28th, Lindell's told uh, good old Steve Bannon on a podcast that Frank was going to be launched again at a rally at the Corn Place Palace on May 10th, 2021. Right. Uh, the rally filled about half of Corn Palace's 3,000 person capacity okay. and did not include any substantive announcement about Frank, which continues to lack social networking features. And to add to the sad fact, a little irony, one journalist observed that Frank was actually using Amazon Web Services for its video hosting, despite uh, Mike constantly being critical of big tech. Yeah. So um. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, though, is not as hilarious as the latest news, where in January 2022, he claimed to possess enough evidence to put everybody in prison for life. 300 some million people. End quote. What? For their, mm, yeah, he's, he's <laughs> he said that he's going to put 300 and some million people in uh, um, prison for life because right. of the evidence that he has, which he has enough of it um, to prove that they played a part in the 2020 election fraud. 300 million people. Yes, which I'm fairly certain that the population in the United States is somewhere around 332 million. Yeah. So um, so he's saying that 300 million people knowingly committed treason which is life in prison i'm assuming that's the angle he's going for um that's an interesting claim where's he gonna put them um well here's my question if 300 and or 300 million yeah uh, people in a country with a population of 332 million <laughs> are against you you're uh, probably fucking wrong yeah and like that means you only got I, 32 million people that agree with you. Exactly. And also, like, if 300 million people are complicit in treason, knowingly so, how is it taking you this fucking long to find out? Yeah, it that's, seems like it would have been pretty obvious. I know. That's like 90% of the people around you are in on something. And you're only finding out now? What the fuck are you doing, buddy? Yeah. Jesus. So that's the story up until now of uh, my pillow guy, Mike Lindell. 
shit. What do you, what do you think about him? Uh, I mean, this one might actually be a to be continued. Who knows what the hell? Oh yeah, the, the, I think this is definitely this is up there with um, Sean Moon and like a couple of others who are definitely like, oh yeah, we there's more to come from this fucking idiot. Um, this is weird because like. You know, because again, we we always like to look at the past of people here, and there's definitely stuff in there that's traumatic. And you know, and actually, it sounds let like me add thing. one yeah. thing, just mm-hmm. because he does run a drug recovery center right. for people, that's really good. and he's a philanthropist in in that. So right. I mean, he is doing some good things, but yeah, damn, he's doing some wacky shit. <laughs> like I, I give him credit for that. I actually think that. Um, because of the kind of the medical system and setup you guys have in America, I actually think that the more access people have to uh, support services in terms of rehabilitation, the better. And it should actually, the majority of it should be at least free or cost based. Um, yeah, it's so weird because, like, for a start, it all seemed like for halfway through the story, it all seemed kind of innocent and somewhat harmless, right? A lot of his idiocy was like, Oh, he's, you know, he had a bit of a drug habit. You know, that happens. He got a divorce. That happens. Said and done some dodgy big business practices. That happens. Capitalism, you know, that that everyone, you know, even Warren Buffett's hands aren't clean. You know, that yeah. sort of shit. So if like, you want to make money, you have to have done something. Different. Yeah. Like nobody, <laughs> nobody really ever got rich following exactly every single rule to the letter. Like so, there's some gray areas that fucking everybody has stepped on in their time on the way to the top so that, that i can i can forgive that the problems obviously start when he gets involved with the trump crowd and like had he just been a trump supporter been one of those people that shows up at rallies fucking covered in americana fucking screaming at the top of their lungs <laughs> maybe gets involved with QAnon and pizza getting all that all the bullshit and stuff I, i'd have been like oh he's bit of a fool really but actually he starts becoming really dangerous because at one point he's uh, the ultimate capitalist fool in that he knows that he probably knows certainly seems that he did knows that this could this product that he was pushing as a cure for covid was certainly at least minimally toxic he probably knew that he owned shares in it didn't acknowledge that he did and yeah. pushed it as a solution and then tried to get his buddy involved in it that is, that is ultimate capitalist evil that's one of those things where like i have a platform i'm going to use it to fuck everyone over but make me money that's evil like that's, yeah you know well, and that's that's the thing too is he getting his buddy ben carson's involved that's a former presidential yes. candidate that's the secretary of hud not that i'm sure what the fuck that has to do with medicine but yeah i mean he is dr ben carson's oh there you go there you go yeah. he's a doctor yeah but uh, the that's the dr. sort of Pep stuff that, that gives ridiculousness validity to people though that that really is and I mean, obviously, we can it can be just distrusting of supposedly elites and high profile people. You want, I think, keeping a high, like a reasonable level of cynicism in pretty much everything is always reasonably healthy, especially in this day and age. Like, just just sort of question things that you're hearing doesn't mean that you have to drive a fucking truck slowly through Canada about it. But like, you know, just <laughs> just like just question like was well, like someone someone was talking to me the other day. What, why are why are Russia so harsh on the Ukraine? Is it are there really Russian people like getting mistreated in Russia? I was like, look, the reason they invaded Crimea is because they wanted a warm water port for their navy. That's the only thing. They didn't have one. 
because every other port they had was frozen at various stages of the year. So they needed one. Crimea had one. They invaded. And like The question you've got to ask yourself is why are they currently looking at invading Ukraine? It's because they've got loads of mineral riches and stuff like that. So yes. uh, and usually ask yourself, what do they want? Well, so. yeah. Well, that's the crazy thing about that whole Russia-Ukraine thing is that use of social media and the, yeah. the bots and the tinkering Russia's crazy, isn't pretty it? fucking good at making people like gaslighting people. Basically, <laughs> they are amazing at it. They have perfected it, and that's the thing. And actually, the smartest thing um, the people on the other side have done so far is say today, "Pull your people out of the Ukraine. Russia is going to invade any day now." Even though Russia has been saying for so long, "We're not going to invade. We don't want to invade. This is just military exercises." That's why we've got hundred thousand troops there. So it's. You know, it's it's important in this world to develop a certain level of cynicism. Um, but this guy has taken conspiracy theories, and I, I genuinely believe he believes a fair chunk of them, because he sounds like he has the kind of personality that would get involved and wrapped up in that. Because, you know, you talk about an addictive personality. Addiction isn't just linked to substances, right? It can be, like we were saying before, it can be religion, it can be theories, it can be science. People can be addicted to exercise. People can be addicted to sex or romance. You know, anything that gives you a rush of chemicals in your brain, you can get addicted to. Doesn't matter what it is. Playing D&D, fucking <laughs> clipping your toenails, any shit that brings you a massive rush, you're likely to keep pressing that fucking button as often as possible, right? Yep. yep. And that's where conspiracy theories comes in because he's essentially just placed, replaced a, a different dopamine uh, rush with another so you know that's that's really what i see in terms of scoring this guy i can't go massively high but definitely i think that in the last 10 years he has ramped up the insanity and the idiocy to i mean he, his own fucking company's banned on twitter it's a pillow company what is going on <laughs> yep. that's insane to me um so yeah i definitely think this guy again it's definitely a to be continued with him but i would say probably a i'm gonna say a 79 for now okay. but i think there is a potential there for uh, actually no wait let me think about this no he needs to be high no 83 um, i'm gonna go 83 but there is a potential there if he does more stupid stuff to to definitely end up in the high 80s um i was going a bit too low there because like he is he is stupid like there is definite idiocy there yeah, there's something about him. And that's like I said, the whole fabrication and embellishment is what yeah. really drew me to him. Because honestly, I wanted to believe his story that he pulled yeah. himself out of addiction and started. Yeah, and I he did. I'll give him all of that. Sure. But he lost all his credibility along the way. And after. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> Fascinating story. I'd heard I'd heard stuff about him in the past um, on Internet Today show that um, is is quite a, a popular thing with me um but i didn't really know the ins and outs of it because you know i i'm in the uk we don't always get the details of you know kind of insane people over in the states we just you know <laughs> assume that you're all they're all based in florida but like <laughs> but like that that's fascinating thank you for telling me that and actually there is an element of this guy's story um which kind of cross crosses over with my guy so okay Nice. Moving into my section now, yes. I would like to tell you the story of William Z. McFarlane, <laughs> better known as Billy McFarlane. And I'm going to, the title of my guy is just 
how he's listed on um, Wikipedia, which is Billy McFarland, Billy McFarland brackets fraudster. Uh, <laughs> not even entrepreneur. Nothing. Just just fraudster. That's that's his name on. Uh, that's his given Damn. moniker on Wikipedia. Amazing. Got him. <laughs> Got him. William Z. McFarlane was born in 1991. No specific month there. I guess he may have lied about that. He was <laughs> raised in the Short Hill section of Milburn, New Jersey. His parents are real estate developers. And McFarlane told the New York Times that at the age of 13, he founded an online outsourcing startup that matched clients with web designers. He graduated from Pingree School in 2010 and went on to attend Bucknell University, where he dropped out in May of his freshman year. So very similar to um, Pillow King of... Yeah, just a few months and then he's out. Yeah, just just ghosted out. I mean, May, you did not... You you lasted the winter. Congratulations, but you didn't make it to summer. Um, And uh, yeah, so he dropped out of college um towards the end of his freshman year and founded the short-lived online advertising platform spling where never he, heard of it no nope, <laughs> where he served as ceo techcrunch described spling as a content sharing network criticizing its similarity to other services which existed at the time i mean that happens you know people m- mimic don't they it's very common yeah. um in August 2013, McFarlane ceded payments company Magnesis with $1.5 million of investment funding, aiming to create an exclusive black card with social perks, such as club membership targeted at status-oriented uh, millennials in certain big cities, i.e. New York, pretty much exclusively New York. I, I feel like that um, when I started my logistics company, in like 18 or 19 that people were offering me the opportunity to have this black card and i'm like what is it like a credit card and it's like no it's a you're cool card yeah that's (laughs) pretty much it's showing pretty much what this is yeah (laughs) get it out and show people because then like you're you're a millennial you're a cool millennial (laughs) if you have this card i don't i don't give a fuck uh So Magnesis was widely compared to American Express's black card, officially known as the Centurion card, which is that's a sexy fucking name right there. You go for ancient yeah. Rome there, American <laughs> Express. Similarities between the two cards include uh, that they're both black and made of metal. That's pretty much where. And uh, oh, and also promised exclusive perks to members. Again, he's essentially ripping off an existing idea. That seems to be his bag. Yeah, right? that's like exactly the same deal. Basically, basically. Yeah. Despite appearances, however, Magnesis's card was not a real charge card. Instead, each card copied the MagStripe um, information from a customer's existing Wells Fargo or Bank of America card, for which it could then be used as a substitute. So it's just, yeah. Uh, By December 2013, the company had about 500 members. Benefits offered to members included VIP access to clubs, hotel discounts, and various exclusive events that you can pretty much get online if you look a little bit. So it's not if you really Google that, that shit. Yeah, literally, <laughs> just like go on uh, what is it? Fucking various websites, and you can get these discounts, no problem at all. Uh, what was it? Groupon? Or, or shit yeah, there you I go. Know. There you go. You you don't need a card. It's it's not taking up re- real estate in your wallet. Um, the company was initially based out of a rented townhouse in the West Village neighborhood of Manhattan, New York. 
The owner of this townhouse filed a lawsuit against McFarland in 2015, alleging that McFarland had trashed the building, uh, an accusation he denied. Uh, I mean, it's kind of a situation where only rock stars and directors of terrible Fantastic Four films should be trashing houses like that, to be honest. But yeah, apparently Billy got in on the act as well. He was, he was trying to, um, what is it? Fake it till you make it. That's it. Oh, yeah, there was this time <laughs> I had my company and we got a little drunk and yeah, know, we he trashed the building. <laughs> fucking Kate Moss over here. Uh, the case was settled in January 2016. The company subsequently relocated its headquarters to the Chelsea neighborhood of Manhattan. Um, and by the end of 2016, it was operating in New York and Chicago. And according to McFarland, its membership had grown to the tens of thousands. Take that with a massive pinch of salt. I would say probably a couple of thousand at most. Now, was there a charge to be part of this exclusive black card thing? <laughs> there absolutely was. Um, <laughs> members paid a $250 fee to, I know, to have a card. Uh, which is a lot of money to pay for a small black lump of metal, basically. Yes. <laughs> Just Hell get yes. a fucking Sharpie and colour in your <laughs> Wells Fargo card. Save yourself some money. Christ. Um, yeah. This is where it gets really juicy. McFarland met rapper Jar Rule when he attempted to book him for an event. The story, which McFarland told at the Web Summit in November 2016, goes that he had to go through numerous people and apparently a helicopter to get in touch with Jar uh, with Jar Rule, the rapper. Uh, but once he did, apparently mine's connected, and he made Jar Rule a celebrity ambassador for Magnesis. Who fucking needs a celebrity uh, ambassador for a fucking charge card? Jesus. Let me interpret that for you. So they got together and smoked weed, man. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, they came up with an idea. <laughs> and he, Billy was like, this guy's famous. I'm going to glum onto him. And Ja Rule was like, this idiot has a shitload of money. I'm going to glum onto him. Yeah, so he came a in a helicopter. Yeah, it's a mutually beneficial ego arrangement. Uh, a former employee of Magnesis who was featured in the Hulu documentary Fire Fraud said that Ja Rule had nothing to do with the business side of the company. Yeah, no shit. You know, yeah. Uh, oh, let's bring Jar Rule in as the the chief marketing office officer or fucking CEO or never going to happen. That's that scary strategy of trying to make something look legit by attaching something that somebody pe or someone that people trust to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. as much as you trust a rapper, Jar Rule. For well, <laughs> like, I mean, I, I I I probably trust some rappers for like, what it was. I mean, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I I get it, you know, I, and I think like I would trust Common. I think I probably trust uh, Most Def. I definitely trust Most Def. Um, don't know if I trust Jar Rule. I don't know if there's something about him. Just I've seen too many documentaries where he's featured. I think to maybe trust him now at this point. Now um, he was in Fast and Furious movies, wasn't he? I think that's ludicrous. Yeah, I think that might be ludicrous. Okay, who well, that... was also featured on the roast of Justin Bieber, and um, there were <laughs> multiple jokes made in his uh, at him about the the number of children he has with different women. Oh, uh, yeah, so uh, well, what was I... it? The, the classic jokes. He was on stage. Uh, Sh Shaquille O'Neal was there. Snoop Dogg was there. <laughs> Uh, Kevin Hart was there. Um, Pete Davidson was there. Uh, Martha Stewart was there. 
and and a female comedian. And she got up on stage and she said, "All these rappers on this stage, and Martha Stewart's done the most jail time." <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. fucking brilliant. Oh um, yeah. So yeah, uh, moving on with Jar. Um. So yeah, he's now the celebrity. Uh, let's see. He, he has nothing to do with the business side, but he is the celebrity ambassador of Magnesis. And if you watch the doc documentary, it becomes very obvious very quickly that while Ja Rule wasn't necessarily complicit in any of the crimes, he sure as hell knew that there was something fucking dodgy going on and was desperate for a paycheck to the point which he actually deliberately gaslit anyone who raised concerns and spent pretty much the majority of his time with Billy McFarlane kissing his ass even after everything had gone down. Okay. Um, so that's your jar rule. That's pretty much a summary of his involvement, to be honest. Um, after Magnesis, McFarlane created the Fire app and Fire Media. The app was meant to operate sort of like Tinder. This is what the article says. Pairing up users with artists who could deny or approve a request to be booked for an event and set up their own booking fees. Um, and this is where Fire Festival was born. McFarlane and his team wanted to promote the app by throwing a music festival. Um, now, the Tinder analogy kind of works. I would say it's kind of a cross between Tinder and Cameo. So, okay. you know, you can swipe right to approve. But like, you know, and actually, when you think about that as an app, that's not such a bad idea. I'm sure that it's been innovated on since it probably existed at the time. As it well. seems like that app is the sort of thing that'll get you the When We Were Young Festival. Yeah. <laughs> I want them and I want them and I want them. Yeah, I want all of these people. Do you have the money to pay for them? I'll take out loans. Uh, <laughs> so according to Billboard, McFarlane and Ja Rule scouted locations for the festival in the Bahamas in early 2016, where they met Delroy Jackson, a local fixer who was associated with who was later associated with fire and seen in the Hulu documentary. Uh, poor old Delroy got so much shit for his involvement. And uh, so the initial thing, and this is not something that's covered in this article, this article's not bad, but it's like kind of skips over some initial things. They touted it as Pablo Escobar's island or former island owned by him. It's essentially a mosquito ridden strip of sand in the middle of the Bahamas. And they had plans to fit like 5,000 people on this island. And the guy who was a fixer for them was like, you can't fit 500 people on this island. Like they physically will not fit on. And then you've got staging and toilets and camping and all of this shit. And uh, yeah. So in the film, uh, Delroy Jackson said that he told McFarlane on the sets that a festival was not going to be possible in the area um, that he was looking at. But as we know, that didn't stop McFarlane. Several people told Billy McFarlane that it wasn't possible to hold a festival. One person that raised objections, uh, most of them were swiftly fired. One of the ones that was swiftly fired was a pilot. Uh, I have to do this now. People who were listening after the fact, I'm doing the inverted, the hand quote. Cody fingers. Cody fingers. <laughs> uh, I'm going to use that now. Uh, a pilot who taught himself to fly using Microsoft Flight Simulator. You mean like no a lessons, terrorist? No formal lessons, just taught himself with Microsoft Flight Simulator and uh, passed his fucking test. Yeah, uh, right. like, How do you learn to fly? Oh, I played a bunch of Star Wars games. It's essentially <laughs> the same thing. 
Uh, I'm a fucking astronaut too, though. Uh, yeah, I'm an astronaut. <laughs> I played Star Wars. Uh, yeah, and um, so this this guy would be taking people, like multiple people, like these these dual engine planes would be piled with like eight nine people. And he'd be taking up and doing multiple zero G drops in the planes. He'd be going all the way up and then just vomit comiting right down again. With oh and he's, he's got no official training. He's just done Microsoft Flight Simulator. God, um, I wonder if he even knows if the plane is capable of handling that sort exactly. of shit. Exactly. That's the oh. question I had in mind. So he was not only was he a pilot, but he was like the guy handling logistics. And the guy who has no official training in being a pilot was trying to talk sense to Billy McFarlane. That's where we're at already with Fire Festival. Billy fired him immediately. Um, in, a December, in December, a gaggle of supermodels and influencers started posting lavish Instagrams from what seemed to be the same Bahamas trip, but because they tagged many of the images with Fire Festival, people quickly um, caught on to the trip being a viral marketing tactic. While in the Bahamas, the models, including Bella Hadid, Emily Rajkowski and Haley Baldwin also participated in an hour infamous marketing video for the Fire Festival that raised awareness of the event. So apparently the shoot was like a week-long fucking bender that everyone was constantly drunk. Billy McFarlane passed out and fell asleep on the beach at one point with the cameras rolling. Jeez. Um, That's where they blew the whole budget for the damn festival. Basically, yes. They hired a bunch of yachts. They they paid supermodels hundreds of thousands of dollars to show up to this thing. And actually, the supermodels have said afterwards, like, we didn't know anything. Like, our agents told us to show up to this thing. We had very little information. And there's like a dozen of them there. There's a fair number of them. But you can tell as the footage goes on, they are becoming increasingly more concerned for their safety because oh. they don't know. They're like, that's Jar Rule. We don't know who any of these other people are. <laughs> and like... Um, ja, there's one part where Jar Rule, like, and also these guys are drunk. They're talking in like business terms, but not business. It's, it's a bit Wolf of Wall Street. That's right? what I'm picturing right there. Yeah, too. and they're they're hitting on the women, and sometimes in the most aggressive ways possible. And there's one part where Jar Rule just turns to a group of like two or three women, and he just goes, "Get in the fucking pool," and they just saw. <laughs> <laughs> like he's telling it because they're having this discussion about like oh it'd be great footage if we just like jumped in the pool and we look carefree and the girl's like no i'm not doing that i've like done my hair i'm wearing a nice dress i'm not fucking they're like get in the fucking pool oh jeez um, <laughs> they just sort of like they frit like a couple of them freeze and go and like wave him off it's really disturbing and incredibly awkward at the same time because Jar Rule looks like that fucking idiot at a party that everyone's like, oh, can we just get rid of him? Yeah. Please. He's making it uh. worse. Um, yeah, Kendall Jenner was paid to promote the festival via a since-deleted Instagram, though Jenner, of all people, should have known uh, whatever lives on the internet never dies. She was paid $250,000 for one Instagram post. Uh, yeah. We're in the wrong game, man. We're, yeah, <laughs> we're in the wrong fucking game. I, I need I to get prettier. Fifty bucks for an, yeah. <laughs> we need to get prettier. We need to get taller, thinner, and prettier. Um, yeah, it's too late. <laughs> I'll just stick with being a Celtic Hobbit. Jenna <laughs> posted that she was hype 
to announce that I love being British and saying words like that, that her <laughs> G-O-O-D music family were going to be headliners at Fire. G-O-O-D, good, Music Inc. is a record label founded by her brother, her then brother-in-law, Kanye West, and currently or previously included uh, artists like Pusha T, Kanye West, and Tayana Taylor. No, I don't know who that last one is. Uh, none of whom ever appeared at Fire Festival. Yeah. So that was a fucking lie. I don't think they were ever going to. I think that was just another buy-in. But 250 grand. And there's there's footage of like um after the whole thing went down, paparazzi catching up with her as she's going into a restaurant and asking her, Hey, hey, Kendall, how was Fire Festival? And she goes, <laughs> like she's laughing about it. It's like, yeah, I made out with a shitload of money. I don't care. Are you allowed to make money knowingly fucking lying yeah. to people? Pretty much. Well, I mean. What are we talking? Look at the world we live in, man. You know, okay. we're just talking about Russian bots and Trump. I mean, True. there's 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 a whole world of money to be made from lying. I have um, to figure this shit out. I got to be a better bad guy. We really need to be more arsehole and stop being so, you know, <laughs> fucking principled. In the documentary Fire Fraud, the fire team is shown at a New Year's Eve party in 2017. One of the festival contractors involved says that they didn't, um, they hadn't done much despite being four months out from the festival's launch. Because the majority of festivals, when you're planning your first festival, you need like a year and a half at least to yeah. plan shit like that. You, you know, planning, you need permits, you need to get in contact with people. They've got schedules booked up for years ahead sometimes. You need to get staff and all of that stuff arranged. And they did it in, they tried to do it in six months, I think less than that. But four months out, they still. I was going to say, it took me six months to book a dive bar concert with three bands. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> and actually, this is a conversation I was having with my wife after having watched this documentary. Like, if they just booked a concert, right, to to promote this app, right? Mm -hmm. You book a concert, you get Kanye to headline, you get these good artists, whatever it is, just three acts, get a venue, put on a lavish venue. You know, you spend, let's say, a million dollars. You spend a million dollars on a venue, right? You don't have to, it doesn't have to be big. It just has to look good, invite right. really interesting influencers. You know, you invite your Instagrammers and some select contest winners, stuff like Shit, I sound like I could do this now. Um, <laughs> and, so like, and, and all of a sudden, you've got yourself an event and you get yeah. people to post about it on Instagram. It's not quite the level of what they were planning had that worked out, but it would have worked, right? There's yeah. your promotion right there. And that's much easier to do in six months than a fucking festival on a beach in the Bahamas that was owned by Pablo Escobar. You Where know, people are camping and shit. Yeah. And like not even camping, like being promised luxury villas and shit. We'll get yeah. to that. Yurts. Um, <laughs> yeah yurts and stuff in the what's a fucking yurt doing on the beach um the festival contractors involved said that they hadn't done much despite being four months out from the festival launch in the documentary delroy jackson the fixer brought up the need to go into overdrive to fix it in time and was met with complete apathy from uh billy mcfarlane and his happy merry troop of liars meanwhile like billy, billy oh sorry I, no, say, no, I feel on, like Billy the whole time is like, stop shitting on my dreams. Don't tell me the impossible is yeah. not possible. Yeah. I can do it. He's like, he's. there's a, a phrase he keeps using in these documentaries. Is like, you're talking about problems. We're solution focused. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> like, you have to, and you have to come up with a problem before you have a solution, right? So we need to raise, it's like, no, no, no. I just want you to think up solutions. And like, Billy, we need to talk about this. Like, no, shut the fuck up. 
Um, that was his thing. <laughs> Meanwhile, Billy is drumming up interest and gathering as much money as possible to meet the ridiculous claims he's made. Uh, he was making to encourage people to pay tens of thousands of dollars to stay in non-existent villas and luxury glamping accommodation or huge fucking yachts, which is my favorite. Part. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, ten people on a yacht, yeah, that's no problem. Uh, they had an artistic rent. They had a bunch of artistic renderings of the accommodation uh, and and what it was going to look like. That's a big red flag for me, to be honest. If you're going somewhere, right, and your accommodation is an artistic rendering, never, ever trust it. You trust photos. If someone's drawn a picture of what your room will look like, it doesn't exist. It's right. that simple. You know, it's straight. Can you imagine making a booking on Airbnb and all you met with is a fucking pencil sketch? But yeah. This is what the room looks like. Well, take a fucking picture. You've got a phone, haven't you? Jesus. No. Um, I have no phone or internet, but I'm putting this on Airbnb. But I've got a, yeah, I've got a great drawing <laughs> ability. The same month that the supposed headlining acts uh, for the festival started to leak, the very first tweets, uh, very first tweet was sent out from the account at Fire Fraud, run by venture capitalist Calvin Wells. In Fire Fraud, Wells said that he got so fed up with trying to warn people that he just started posting his findings that proved fire was going to be a disaster and was a scam. A month before festival guests arrived, he tweeted evidence. He basically got in a plane, flew over the fucking site of the festival <laughs> and took a bunch of pictures. Uh, he tweeted evidence that the festival wasn't on a private beach, but in an undeveloped lot next to a sandals resort. Which is so fucking desperate. Just put it in the sandals parking lot. This is yeah, where we'll exactly. have a concert. Yeah, and when the, the official map was produced, they like conveniently cut off where the sandals <laughs> resort was supposed to be like, Oh, it's an Island. No, this is just a portion of an existing Island. Okay? Um, and also the festival was happening at a time. Of, like if it had been booked at different times, it probably would have been okay because there'd have been like places for people to stay. The sandals resort would have opened its doors to these people because they'd be like, okay, we've got like 300 spare rooms, whatever it might be. They booked it at a time of year when there was a sailing regatta on and the population of the Island where the event was held doubles and oh, no. these hotel rooms are booked up over a year in advance so it was they were basically going to be homeless if it didn't work out and we know what happens um so less than a month before the festival one of the first articles detailing issues with the festival came out the wall street journal reported on april the 2nd of 2017 that artists hadn't been paid vip guests had uh, didn't have their traveling itineraries flight information and claims that the festival was wooing the wealthy just to make ends meet which it was doing actually things were going so badly that one of the main organizers andy king this is the most shocking thing and actually really horrible as well who's one of the few people to come out of the documentary looking halfway decent um was asked to go down to the local customs office and suck the local custom officer's dick to release the water trucks that had been impounded because they hadn't paid the import fee um and king this is the quote from andy king bless him it's heartbreaking when he says this in the documentary billy mcfarlane called and said andy we need you to take one big thing for the team you're our wonderful gay leader and we need you to go down will you suck dick to fix this water problem he said that in a phone call to this guy who's been working with for 15 years and he and this is the sad part i swear andy king goes like you can tell he's upset, but he's like trying not to break because he's got pride and he's in a documentary and stuff. And he said, I literally drove home, took a shower, drank some mouthwash, got into my car to drive across the island to take one for the team. 
and I got to the head of customs office fully prepared to suck his dick. And that's so sad that his boss had essentially prostituted him. Thankfully, yeah, yeah, disgusting. Thankfully, the customs official didn't want that and was just like, look, King, he said to Andy, can you promise me that when this all goes pear-shaped and he knew it was going to go bad, that he was going to be one of the first people to get paid? He was like, we need to get paid. We are the customs officials for this island. We have a very important job to do. We need to make sure that this office is up and running and that you know shit doesn't get smuggled through and stuff like that. So we need this money for our budget. So thankfully, that didn't have to happen. But Jesus Christ. Um, thoughts? <laughs> what the... F- Jesus, man. Hor- like horrible. I can hear the bro dude type of guy that he is saying that and it's still it's like my god man like how do you tell somebody that like never ah, that's just it's insane it's like (laughs) and the weird thing is you watch both documentaries there are points when you're like billy mcfarlane should be feeling emotions here he should be having some sort of an emotional response to this situation or this question or this thing that's happening and he is a blank faced crash test dummy of a human being he has no emotional reaction to anything other than this is what i want and at that point you start to think he might actually be a sociopath because he has no feelings no remorse no care no joy he just has this kind of bland looking dead eye smile when he's supposed to be having fun it doesn't look real and that's what worries me actually um at this point the pressure was starting to get to him though because when he was being battered with questions from his employees and people who hadn't been paid, he would disappear for up to an hour at a time, driving insanely high speeds up and down the roads on an all-terrain vehicle. Probably not the best person to be in charge at that point. Also, I'm not pointing any hoping to accidentally kill himself. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's a possibility at that point. It's like, he's going to be out the responsibility. Or like, have an accident. So he's yeah. like, oh, I've been badly injured. We have to call off the festival, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, now, this is a point I wanted to make. I'm not pointing any fingers, but if you watch the documentary and you look at some of the people making very weird decisions and coming up with some of the stupidest ideas you've ever heard anyone come up with in, the, in history, there's a lot of frantic energy going on. They're smiling. There's a lot of manic laughing around, like, really weird decision-makings. They're all red-faced. They're all kind of bloated. You make up your own mind what's been going on behind closed doors there. Um, people they're all like, on drugs. They're, I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> Allegedly. They've got a very specific bloat going on. <laughs> and I, I see signs on there that, yeah, there's definitely a lot of decisions being made that should not have been had they been in a better frame of mind. People bombarded the official website, um, email address, and social media sites with desperate questions, only to be met with a wall of silence, and were encouraged to put money on plastic wristbands uh, to make the event cash-free. As much money as they made from the initial ticket sales and cons, because it sold out like that, like within, like I think, three days it was sold out, which is incredible, really, for a a first-time festival. That just does not happen. Especially with the rates they were charging. Yeah, like seven to ten thousand dollars for a fucking glamping tent for Christ's sake. Oh, yeah. 
the second con raised nearly as much money as the first, and the bands were essentially useless. We can find out what happens later. Uh, the day before the event, there was a massive rainstorm that swept over the island and the venue and drenched the entire site. All the construction work had to stop, and the disaster relief tents that they were using in place of you know the villas and the yachts and the fucking mega mansions that they promised were drenched through, essentially destroyed, and uh, completely soaked through. The day wow. that people were supposed to start arriving at Fire Festival, Blink-182 pulled out of the lineup. In a tweet, the band wrote that they weren't, they weren't confident that the stage and all the stuff they needed to be set up in a way that would make for a good performance was going to happen. And that was just the start of the day. When visitors started arriving on the island for Fire Festival, the first three planes were sent to a neighboring resort, and hundreds of people were held at a local bar. I mean, literally held. They were not giving any information on how to get to the site, where it was. They were held at a bar for six hours and plied with booze nonstop, while Billy and his motley crew uh out of con artists and overworked employees scrambled to make it look less like ground zero and more like pri uh, escobar's private island how um, drunk did he think he was going to get them that they were going to fall for that shit kill them at that point six <laughs> hours drinking and there's like footage of that like people walking around with bottles and just pouring liquor into oh people's mouths they still got on a bus they still got on these fucking yellow school buses right which immediately should have been like Hang on, yellow school buses, that, that doesn't exactly ring of luxury. Right. Uh, when visitors finally arrived on the yellow school buses, and the uh, there's another thing, the school the bus drivers were like, oh, it's been fucking disastrous, this. Oh, this week's been a complete nightmare while they're driving <laughs> them to the site. Oh, you're going to be fucking, oh, you're going to hate this. Uh, when visitors <laughs> finally arrived on the buses, some of the people started panicking. And more than one person can be heard on the bus saying, turn this fucking bus around. Other visitors yeah. arrived at the site to find the tents, plastic wrap mattresses, and kiosks had been left unattended with crates of alcohol left out in the sun to ply them with more booze. Chaos ensued as visitors discovered a lack of running water in addition to the shoddy accommodation. Billy McFarlane stood on a makeshift stage, which is basically a crate, uh, <laughs> to answer questions. And then it happened. The infamous cheese sandwich. Someone took a picture of the luxury food that they've been promised. And it was a takeaway container with two pieces of bread, a bit of lettuce, and a slice of American cheese. And that That's... was that was your fucking $60 meal for that. Dude, that I'm portion. picturing they got this crate of booze, the cheese sandwich. They're like, grab a bottle. Yeah. Take one of them mattresses. Yes. We're going to need you to start building shit. That's it. That's literally what happened. There, there's a point at which they, they're like, oh, we've got security like place for your, your luggage. The luggage arrive arrives on like these two massive trucks, right? And they're just mm -hmm. throwing it out onto the sands. Like, yeah, you pick out one of these black bags is probably yours. Just pick it out. And then they've got like we've got security for all your belongings. It's just these massive lockers. The tiny little lockers, not like in like high school in America where you've got lockers that big. It's like a PO box sized fucking <laughs> locker. It's like an eight so by eight. eight. Here you and go. No one's been assigned anything. They've got the keys in them already. They're easy to break into. And essentially, when the sun started going down and people didn't have water and they've been drinking booze all day, it became Lord of the Flies. It was just a fucking free for all. Um, by the wee hours of the morning, Fire Festival was officially cancelled after assessing the situation this morning and looking at the best options for our guests. We cannot move forward as we hope we could have. Uh, the official fire account tweeted out at the time. 
People coming in on later flights had uh, had them cancelled, and empty planes were sent to the Bahamas to take people home. The international airport on the island was so overrun with confused people that they actually got confused themselves, like it seems that the confusion spread, and they locked these hundreds of people inside the fucking tiny-ass airport while <laughs> they were trying to figure out what to do with them. And, of course, people started to panic. It was getting hot in there, so they eventually... Um, released the chains because they chained them into the fucking airport so <laughs> they, they were a... being invaded <laughs> basically yeah they were like shit we've got to keep these people here uh that yeah. was a weird decision uh by the way and also at this point billy mcfarlane is nowhere to be found no one can find him he's yeah. done a costa concordia captain and just fucked off as quickly as he could really <laughs> uh the bahamian ministry of tourism issued a statement blaming the organizers themselves no shit claiming they were lied to about safety precautions taken. Ja Rule denied any fault in the festival's demise, insisting on Twitter that it was not a scam and that he had no idea how everything went so wrong. Ja Rule uh, immediately started playing the victim in this, despite the fact he absolutely got paid and none of the people, the dozens of bar owners or homeowners or workmen or security staff or talent, none of these people got paid. At a penny they were owed tens of thousands of dollars there was one bar owner this poor woman had to dip into her own life savings she lost fifty thousand dollars when she was feeding people booze constantly see and really i feel terrible. like people um like the influencer that got two hundred fifty thousand and ja Rule Jenna, who got yeah. his money i feel like they should have given that money back to help Fuck, pay for some yes. of them people thankfully like, um there was a bunch of Kickstarters were started up by people after the thing. The bar owner got her money back and then some, and some of the workers got paid as well. Nowhere near as much as they should have done, but at least they got some remuneration because, you know, this was a big deal for the island. If this had worked, then a lot of the, the lives of the people working there and living on the island would have been significantly better, and it didn't. It actually did the opposite. It financially crippled them, basically. Yeah. And things got so bad for the organizers that they essentially had to be smuggled off the island because gangs had been formed and people were being hunted down so that these gangs of people could get paid. Andy King lay down in the back of a Jeep and covered himself with a tarp in an effort to hide from an angry mob of locals. This poor guy has at one point thought he was going to have to prostitute himself, and now he's hiding from people who are trying to hunt him down and like extort money out of him at this point. I, f I feel bad for laughing, but Jesus Christ. It's you're, crazy. Your cartoon hiding in the back of a truck because people I are know. coming to get you. You almost can't believe that's real. It's, it's like, I, I kind of it's think so of people horrible. fleeing war zones at this point. It's basically what it is. Um, May 2017 is when all the repercussions came pouring in for Ja Rule and Billy McFarlane, although more so for McFarlane. They were both banned from visiting the Bahamas for life. Fuck you, Ja Rule. <laughs> He's never going back to the Bahamas. I think that's a pretty good punishment, actually. I'd be like, oh, shit. I would have really liked to have gone there again. I, I can't go. That's really sad. Uh, <laughs> numerous lawsuits named both McFarlane and Jar Rule and included claims of illegal wire transfers, tricking people to come by paying influencers to market the festival, general negligence, and a violation of consumer protection law. McFarlane was arrested a few months after the event, taken by the FBI agents for wire fraud that could have ended up costing him 20 years in prison. Uh, then set uh, he, then he was set out on bail. 
At the time, he was also being sued for $100 million in a class Ooh. action lawsuit. Fuck me. Um, the court coin. documents actually included the line that it was closer to the Hunger Games or Lord of the Flies than Coachella. So that's fucking Sounded awesome. like it. The courts agree with me. <laughs> the Hulu documentary, uh, Seth Crosno says, that he, on the Hulu documentary, uh, Seth Crosno says that he and others were who attended the festival and who obviously had all their information stored in emails because you know, you've got to sign up for it, uh, started receiving suspicious emails from a company called NYC VIP Access from someone named Frank Tribble. The emails offered tickets to big events like the Victoria's Secrets Fashion Show, the 2018 Masters, Burning Man, and tickets to the Met Gala, an event that does not have tickets available for purchase. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that the NYC VIP Access, all capitals, was another McFarlane venture. And according to BuzzFeed News, he allegedly sold over $100,000 worth of fraudulent tickets via the email scam. It didn't help that his business was launched while he was literally out on bail for wire fraud. He was... Oh, oh. He, the, he'd when he was released on bail, he gave his address as his parents' place in New New Jersey. He was living in a penthouse hotel room that he couldn't afford to pay the bills for and was eventually kicked out of. The whole time he's doing this ticket thing, he's invited a videographer along to film everything. And it's all on camera. He's as guilty as fucking sin. And the Frank Tribble dude... There on camera the whole time, going, "Hey, I'm Frank," and shit like that. It is the most <laughs> staggeringly stupid thing I've ever seen anyone do in in my life. In October, he was, he was Sorry, trying to fake it until he made it. He was I videoing mean, that... his stuff, doing his own MTV cribs and shit. <laughs> this is my hotel that I can't Here's pay my for. Stolen penthouse hotel room. Let me show you how to commit federal fraud. Holy shit. In October, McFarlane was sentenced to six years in prison, a term he's currently still serving, for charges involving the Fire Festival, NYP VIP access, and defrauding festival goers and investors. McFarlane pled guilty to two counts of wire fraud and did so twice again for the fake tickets. He also um, had to admit, because he claimed that Fire Media... Right, which was actually doing well. It was employing loads of people, doing a bit of business here and there. He said it was worth uh, tens of millions of dollars, or he'd made tens of millions of dollars off it. That's how he got the seed money for the festival. Blah blah. blah. He'd made sixty grand oh, off man. this fucking company. So he'd basically paid himself a decent wage. You know, yeah. not like CEO money, not millions of dollars, not keeping essentially a cut of the profits for himself because he owns shares in the company. Sixty grand in like That's a year and a half. That's, That's depressing. Not that, good. that is not good at all. <laughs> Very expensive offices in New York and all these other people were getting paid. And one day he held a meeting where he was just like, right, here's the deal. I can't afford to pay you, but you can carry on working if you want. And someone in the call says, so what you're saying is you're not firing us so that we can claim unemployment benefits. You're saying that you can't pay us. And he was like, I don't know what to tell you. So let's go back. <laughs> Um, in October, yeah, I've covered the, the fake ticket thing. Uh, as Refinery29 has reported, dozens of lawsuits are still awaiting him as well. In April 2020, during the COVID pandemic, McFarlane requested compassionate release from the Federal Correction Institution, uh, institution Elkton in Lisbon, Ohio, 
to avoid contracting uh, COVID-19 with the reasoning that as an asthmatic, he was especially vulnerable to the virus. I think there's a lot of asthmatics out there. Really? Uh, I'm asthmatic. I think like half the people in my generation are slightly asthmatic, you know? Yeah, possibly. Um, There's a lot of people that claim to be asthmatic that are Mm. not, though. I mean, like in instances where perhaps they want to get out of prison. For for fucking sure, yeah. Um, And uh, his request was denied, thankfully, that same month. As of 2020, McFarlane was housed in the Milan Federal Correction Institution in Milan, Michigan, under the federal inmate registration number, I'm going to say this now, 91186-054, with a a scheduled release date of August the 30th, 2023. So a year and a bit away yet. Um, in July 2020, it was reported that McFarlane had tested positive for COVID-19 at the facility, but survived with minimal uh, repercussions. Well, McFarlane's lawyer... <laughs> it keeps going, though, this guy. McFarlane's lawyer pleaded to a U.S. district court judge that he be uh, that his pre-existing condition made him particularly vulnerable to catching, uh, suffering from severe... Uh, can, uh, no, I've already covered this. Forget it. Uh, yeah, Mr. McFarlane is no risk to the community nor a threat to the public safety, his lawyer argued, to try and get him out of prison. The crime to which he pled guilty for was uh, a non-violent financial crime of wire fraud because no one ever got hurt from financial crimes, right? So no. he's no menace to the public. That's such... Given that he was released on like bail and immediately committed another fraud, kind of means that you shouldn't trust this guy on early release. Feels Sorry. like he might still be a threat to the public. Uh, yeah, he actually is. <laughs> we'll get to that now. In October 2020, he was placed in solitary confinement after participating in a new podcast about his crimes that was released that week. Billy uh, K uh, can be heard discussing his various hijinks and their aftermath in detail from a prison phone on a show titled Dumpster Fire. Which premiered with a Y, uh, which premiered on Tuesday uh, around October 2020. Um, according to Mr. McFarlane's lawyer, he was being held in 23 hours a day solitary confinement after a trailer for the podcast was released online and may remain there for 90 days or more, pending on unspecified investigation by the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Uh, his, his cellmate was also in there because his cellmate, you can be heard in the background of the conversation going like, yeah, Billy's a really good cellmate. Solitary for both of you. Um, we believe the investigation stems from his participation in the podcast and the photographs that were taken and utilized in the trailer, which were all properly taken, said his lawyer, Jason Russo. We don't believe he's violated any rule or regulation and there can't possibly be anything else. He's been a model prisoner there, says his lawyer, Jason Russo. The prison authorities replied with that he'd previously been placed in solitary at a different facility for possessing a flash drive in prison okay so not model prisoner i feel like they're saying he didn't do anything wrong however there has to be some sort of fucking rule that says you can't have a podcast from prison i'm pretty certain and i i, I it's different in this country there's a rule in this country that says you can't profit from your crimes while you're in prison right so you can't release a biography while you're in prison you can't uh, any way you can profit from your crimes while you're in prison, you can't do. Once you get out, uh, and you want to, like Jeffrey Archer wrote a whole book about his time in prison, 
and made a shitload of money because his books are terrible and everyone buys them for some fucking reason. Uh, but I don't know if that's the same in the States. I feel like it should be. I, uh, I feel like it's I mean, good... <clears throat> think about this. Charles Manson was in prison for a long time. That's Imagine true. that son of a bitch had a podcast. <laughs> like, I know. Um, I feel like that could be dangerous. That's true. And um, I feel, didn't Charles Bronson do art? Uh, no, I'm talking Charles Bronson now. Didn't Charles Manson do art? Yeah. Well? And they Did have like salads and shit. Yeah. But, I mean, if you're having a podcast, I can sit here and look directly yeah. into the camera and talk into the mic and tell yeah. somebody to do something. Like literally exactly. carry out gang orders if I wanted to. Essentially, yeah. And if it's coded, you know, in a specific way, then that's that's a whole different thing. But yeah, he's definitely, you know, like Charles Bronson, uh, I mentioned his name just briefly just now by accident, but actually he sold art while he was in prison because he had notoriety. And after the film Bronson came out, you know, he was a big deal. So he started painting. His art's kind of interesting. Sold it for thousands of pounds, kind of gave it to support his wife and you know, kept a bit of money for himself. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. He's not profiting from his crimes. He's just right. doing work that's being sold in the public domain. That's fine. I have no issue with that at all. This dude is directly involved in a podcast that is potentially going to earn money, and maybe he'll get a cut of it. Uh, we know he definitely got a cut of the money from the um, the documentaries because Hulu had to admit that they paid him a lot of money, probably more than he earned at his fucking fire company. So... Yeah, but not that's that he's spent and enjoyed. Yes, partying on yacht. <laughs> that should be sent to people in the island that he conned. So that's the story of um, Billy McFarland, um, fraudster. Uh, so, what do you make of Mister Fire himself, Billy McFarland? Uh, oh, also one more thing while you're clearing your throat. There's another thing I was reading. There's a documentary out now, or documentary. It's a, a docudrama. Uh, so I'll let you. I'll let you get you. you okay. I swallowed, or I breathed water. <laughs> I'll, I'll explain, uh, just so you can catch your breath again as well. Uh, there was a thing that I was checking up on. There's a, docu uh, a docudrama um, on Netflix right now called Inventing Anna, about Anna Sorkin, or Anna, whatever she called herself. Anna, I can't remember. Or Anna she Russo. She came over and was like an heiress. Yeah, she pretended to be like a German socialite or a, a Russian socialite and, and con people out of millions of money. She stayed in Billy McFarlane's penthouse oh. for a while. Yeah. So they were fraudstering together. Yeah. And All they're right. both so sociopaths, from what I can tell. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. What do you think of Billy McFarlane and his antics? Well, I, I feel really bad. Good grief. In general. <laughs> um, well, I, you ever breathe water in? Yeah, like, all I the time. I was taking a drink I'm trying to... So clumsy as fuck. Uh, <laughs> trying to clear my throat with a, like a quick drink, throw a splash on there, and then I almost yeah. killed myself. So, um, <laughs> Billy McFarland sucks. That's what I yeah, think. Yeah, basically, um, yeah. What he did to Annie King is... It's, that's horrible. That that's it. That's like the worst thing about the whole story. And I feel bad that people got taken advantage of, but yeah, early on, everybody Fair was enough. saying, don't fall for that shit. So, yeah. And the worst part is the employees that worked at the company, they were aware of all of this. Like they saw it happening. They saw, they saw stuff going sideways. They just didn't know the money situation. So like they're following orders, but there's maybe only like Ja Rule probably potentially. 
and like a couple of other people who were fully aware of the situation and they knew everything. They're fully complicit. But all of these poor people that worked for Fire Media, they were taken into this whole thing. They were working like two jobs. They were working for Fire Media and the festival and they could see that shit was going sideways and they couldn't do anything about it. So And then he was like, yeah, not going to pay you anymore. Sorry. Yeah. So they can't even get an employment benefits, the assholes. That's, yeah, that's, everything about this guy sucks really bad. Yeah. And the sociopath part of it, um, it ruins me. But I mean, he, he didn't really kill anybody. He just no. did massive financial damage to an entire island community. Yeah, that's that's so. the worst part. I do hope they recover because, I mean, they've got a Sandals resort there. There'll be masses of tourism, possibly even more tourism as a result of these documentaries and, and the notoriety. Hopefully people will be like, oh, actually, you know what? The parts of the island that we did see in the documentary look quite nice. Let's go there. You know, hopefully right. that, in a sense, has raised the, the kind of profile of the island. But some of these people have lost, like, everything. It's really well, fucking sad. Yeah. And, and for that reason... Um, yeah. I yeah, I think I'm gonna go slightly lower than the, my pillow feller. Sure, yeah, uh, on this yeah. one, and go with an eighty even, just because nobody yeah. died. Sure, you know, the whole, yeah. did you die? <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, um, and actually, that's funny because that's what Jar Rule said in one of his tweets, where he's like, "Nobody he died." <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "Nobody died." Why is everybody so upset? Ja You're not Rule. supposed to actually use that argument, dude. No. He should have stayed off Twitter. That fucking idiot did so much damage to himself by going, look, I didn't know anything. If he'd just come out with a statement that said, look, I, I went along with this guy, you know, I maybe should have seen some more signs, but I promise you I didn't know the financial things. Like, you know, people would have been like, oh, you know, maybe that was the case. But it, he just kept on going on and on like, nobody died. Oh, all these rich people got their money taken off them. Oh, big fucking deal. I'm so sad. It's like he's basically persona non grata now after this whole thing. Yeah. Um, so, I but it's him, rate him what was he going to do? <laughs> I tell you, the yeah. one person who had a really big laugh out of it was 50 Cent. It was just railing on him the whole time. He's like, I told you this guy was an idiot. Uh, so fucking funny. So yeah, that's that's Billy McFarlane. I, I will happily take 80 for Billy because again, like you say, like nobody died. It's just like it's a con of such epic proportions that it's it's either deliberate on his part that he knew he wasn't gonna pull it off and he thought he was gonna somehow come out of it with a shitload of money. There's no way he thought it was real. I know, I know. Or like, he's so deluded, he thinks he's some sort of fucking genius and he can just say stuff and people will do things and it'll just happen, but that's that's not how the world works, William. Yeah, yeah. Uh, His vision board did not work, sir. His vision board (laughs) was a complete dismal failure, possibly covered in other people's money as well so <laughs> so that's that's our, our show for this installment so that was uh billy mcfarland the fire festival fraudster and um what was what was the the pillow guy's name again sorry uh that was mike lindell the mike, mike lindell guy. the uh pillow producing uh completely insane conspiracy theorist oh my god so mad um i had a lot of fun researching this i don't i don't know about you because obviously like you said you you got into a bit of a you go into tangents with these people sometimes like investigating their motivations and psychological makeup and stuff so so yeah did you did you enjoy the process of looking into him i did because i feel like i really uncovered like some key signals in yes hey you know when people are doing stuff like this you've read about it in the psychology books they're saying these quantitative phrases and then 
backtracking. So mm-hmm. it's like a, a sleight of hand, but with it's a verbal sleight of hand, I guess is what it is with yeah. embellishing stories. And you can see that pattern and then you can see how it evolves into he's buying his own bullshit. And then you can see how, mm-hmm. well, now you're living in a delusion, sir. Yeah. <laughs> and if, again, like we had this with the last episode, like a, a thing that kind of came out of it that, that balanced both both people. I think with this, it's delusion. I yep. think it could definitely be a delusion. I think it's people get into their own hype so much that nobody tells them that they're they're going off piste or going off track, and they become so deluded that they believe their own hype and they they kind of fall into that trap of ego. And I I know that's the case with Billy McFarlane and the Pillow Guy has gone down the um, conspiracy theory thing um which you know is is really sad and yeah basically because he's people get to a point of success and they just like believe that they can do anything and unfortunately that takes people down dark routes as we've seen you know usually fraud and crazy ass conspiracy theories and potentially starting riots at the capitol building when we get Uh, famous i'm gonna join a cult I'm going to join a cult too. <laughs> it's going to be so much fun. I'm going to serve the leader so well. I'm going to be his favorite. I um, hope we get Nikes. Yeah. it's. I'm going to join Scientology. It'll be so fun. Not that I'm saying Scientology is a cult. Just saying that I'll have a lot of money. Maybe I can spend it on them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, if you'd like to follow us on our social media, um on instagram it is history's greatest idiots on twitter we are at greatest idiots and if you go to patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots you can support us and help us make this show amazing and even more so and you can get so much cool merchandise and free giveaways and stuff like that and uh yeah um until next time Derek, would you like to say goodbye thanks for tuning in everybody and uh i'm looking forward to talking at you next time yeah i'm really looking forward to the next episode i've got someone really good in mind (laughs) and uh we will see you again soon take care now bye